I love what God's doing in our church. There is so much. It is a beautiful day in the neighborhood. It's a beautiful day for a neighbor. Won't you be mine? I've loved this series, uh, partly because it's brought back so many memories of my, uh, my childhood. And we've walked through this, this, this conversation of what does it mean to be a good neighbor? How, how, do, how do we enter into neighboring with not just the people who live next door to us, but also the people that we interact with at the grocery store, uh, at the restaurant, uh, the people in our offices who are like office mates right next to us? Uh, how do we interact with them in a way that would honor God? And, and celebrate the love that God has given us through Jesus Christ. How do, we, how do we enter into being good neighbors? And so as we've walked through this discussion, we've talked first about compassion. Do you remember that conversation about compassion and Splunknon, that, that deep-seated something deep within us that causes us to be moved for someone else out of their great need? Um, I had a doctor in our church, and it was awesome. He emailed me, and he gave me all the scientific uh, conversation about Splunknon and, and how like the guts, what's deep down, I can't explain it because I'm not that smart, but it was brilliant and I loved it uh, when, when God puts something deep within us that causes us to be moved for someone else when we see their need, that is compassion. Compassion isn't just a feeling, but it, it moves us to do something. And, and Don helped us with that last week, if you were here, and he talked about hospitality and, and how we are moved out of compassion to do some things for other people. He said uh, hospitality isn't about Martha Stewart. Like she's kind of ruined the idea of hospitality and she's kind of set it up that you, everything has to be perfect in your home before you can have people over and you got to get everything just right and that's hospitality. No, no, no. Hospitality is simply seeing other people, hearing, taking the time to, to, to invite them into your world, right? That's hospitality. And as followers of Jesus, um, we're called towards hospitality. We're going to continue this discussion today. We're going to finish this series, and next week we'll start um, our Lent series. But every week we've had a quote from Mr. Rogers. And so I thought, we've got to have a quote from Mr. Rogers to begin our time together, or else we're not going to know what to do. And so, uh, Mr. Rogers, to love someone is to strive to accept that person exactly the way he or she is, right here and right now. To strive to love another person exactly as he or she is right here and right now. Do you know the human tendency is to love the people uh, that we like right here and right now or to love a future version of somebody that we've interacted with right here. Like I might be able to love you if we, we tie strings to it, if they would do this. Um, but there's some people I just can't love as they are right here and right now. And to neighbor, to, to, to truly neighbor as Jesus paints the picture for us with the, the Good Samaritan is to, to move and, and to, to lean into loving people exactly as they are right here, right now, not some future version of themselves. And this love, this, this ability to see someone, to, to see the value in, in all people, uh, and, and to take a step toward them, even if we don't agree, even if we, we completely uh, are from a different space or a different place or have different pasts, that we have an ability to take a step. Like that, that true love leads us 
to what the Bible calls, and here's the little magic word for today, and if you've already opened up your worship folders, you've, you've got it before I even say it, reconciliation. Now, that's a big word, reconciliation. Um, reconciliation, if, if you were to look up some, some definitions in Webster or some of our biblical definitions through some uh, uh, Bible dictionaries, the restoration of a harmonious relationship between two parties. The restoration of, of some harmonious relationship between two parties. Now, let me ask you, if you're married, have you ever had a rift or an argument with your spouse? <laughs> and what happens when we have, um, some of us, not all of us, I know some of you, uh, like Casey, for example, he said like he wants to stay right here. He's never had an argument with Tasha, but, but some of us have some of those, those, uh, those rifts, those, those tensions. And what usually happens, if you're like me, let's see if, if this happens to you. You, you have this, this um, disagree, let's call it a disagreement. You have a disagreement with your spouse, and all of a sudden it causes you to kind of, you know, tense up a little bit. And rather than turning toward them, you turn away from them. And maybe, like, you, you, you uh, are, are walking by them, but you do not want to touch them because you do not want them to know that you might be taking a step toward them. So you make it very clear that you are not going to enter into a relationship. You walk around them. You don't look at You listen to other people. You talk to other people, but you may be in the same room. Has anyone else been here before, or am I the only one? Come on. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Now, what happens... When you make a decision, when, when that voice in your head, the, what I would call the Holy Spirit, causes you to humbly reach over and grab your spouse's hand, to let her know or to let him know, it's okay, I'm here, we're together, I'm with you. Like, everything breaks down, the walls break down. Now, usually in, in our house, it's my wife who, who takes that first step, and I am so thankful for her grace and her mercy. I am a type A. Um, I've been wrong once, but sometimes she thinks I'm wrong. <laughs> the, the restoration of a harmony, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? It's a beautiful thing. When you've been at odds with one another, and then, now I want you to think about um, on a grander scale, what would it look like in today's world for North Korea and South Korea to come together? It'd be unbelievable, wouldn't it? To, to restore a relationship uh, among large groups of people, to bring them back together, or uh, Israelis and, and Palestinians. What would it look like if we turn on the news and all of a sudden we saw a harmonious relationship in the Middle East, thousands of years of, of, of tension, of war, of fighting, uh, to come together and be joined once again in some sort of harmonious relationship? What would it look like in our country? What would it look like right here? in the places that we live and interact on a daily basis, for people who have been at odds for years to come together, would it be a beautiful thing in our country to once together, to, to be one people once again? For, for the, the years of, of racism, of, of certain things that have, have, have kept people apart, what would it look like? for a relationship to be restored among us to come together 
in a harmonious relationship. And not just on the surface. See, the foundation of neighboring, like biblical neighboring, what, what Jesus is, is trying to move us to do, the foundation of neighboring is in first recognizing the incredible worth and value of every human being. Every human being, regardless of our thoughts about how they live or how they look or how they've been raised, uh, recognizing the incredible value and worth of every human being and then relating to every human being out of genuine love and kindness, like reconciliation, true reconciliation, something within us that moves us to interact with people in, in, a, in a very different way. And Jesus has been telling us this, this story, the Good Samaritan. We've seen it. And the Good Samaritan, an interesting, interesting picture, a, a Jewish man, if you've never heard the story, a, a Jewish man who is beaten, he's stripped, he's robbed, and he's left for dead on the side of the road. And luckily, a priest come by, comes by, but the priest wants nothing to do with it, and he passes by on the other side of the road. A priest, his, his, his own people, his his, his father almost, like, it passes by. And then a Levite, who's also a religious man, passes by on the other side. And then Jesus, like, surprises the crowd when he says, a Samaritan stops. A Samaritan. And, and, and it's hard for us to fully comprehend this, but a Samaritan in that day, a different ethnicity, different belief of where to worship God and how to worship God and all like such division. And it's the Samaritan, not the Jew who like is connected to the, to, to the man. It's the Samaritan who's moved by compassion. He, he enters into this, this relationship of hospitality. He bandages his wounds. He takes him to a hospital. He, he, he pays for him whatever is needed so that that man might be made whole again. I mean, that's reconciliation between two people who are so different. And I know it's hard for us 2,000 years removed to understand what Jesus is trying to paint this, this picture. But, I mean, it's such beautiful pictures and images of, of a harmonious relationship. So what do you think the greatest neighboring story in all the Bible is? Would you maybe say the Good Samaritan? It's a trick question. You're like, oh, this is a trick question. No, it's not that one. The greatest neighboring story in the entire Bible. It's one of my favorite verses, and, and I tell you this a lot. I mean, it's the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. It's the greatest neighboring story in the entire Bible, and it's the story of God taking on flesh and blood, entering into humanity and moving into our neighborhood so we might see and understand what true love and compassion and reconciliation looks like. God, uh, the creator of what we see, God, the one who can make it snow in Scottsdale, Arizona. <laughs> I mean, God choosing to put on the limits of, of, of human flesh and blood and entering into the world in which we live. And Paul, one of the very first Christians who's trying to help us understand, he's trying to help early Christians understand uh, what, what this was that, that God did uh, in this little letter that he wrote called Colossians. We call it Colossians. He says this, For God in all of his fullness was pleased to live in Christ Jesus. Like God in all of his fullness was pleased to dwell in Christ and, and through him, here, catch this, through Jesus reconciled, what's that next word? 
everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Now, uh, we, we have people uh, who, who are a part of our church, and, and um, I've talked to some who, who they, they say things like, I believe in God. Like, I, I have this, this understanding, this belief that God exists, that, that creation kind of declares that there's a, there's a creator out there, a higher power, if you will, but I'm not really sure what to do with the Jesus thing. And most of the time I say, you know what, um, like, continue to lean into what you believe about God and, and let's try to discover that and set some of the Jesus stuff aside for a little bit, knowing that we are a church that unashamedly will, will center our lives on Jesus. But you're welcome here. Like, let's, let's do this together. Today, if, if there are some of you who are like, I just don't know what to, to do with the Jesus thing, consider this, that if God created us as relational beings, that same God wants to enter into relationship with us. Like, we cannot exist outside of relationship. Did you know that? Like, we can't, as humans, we can't exist without relationships around us. Humans can't be born without relationships. <laughs> We're not going to talk about that today, but you know what I'm saying, right? That <laughs> now I get an Amen. Now you have a rift with your wife, and that's... <laughs> uh, anyway, um, God created us as relational beings. It, it just makes sense that that same God wants to be, desires to be in relationship with us, right? Does that make sense? And so how does this God of, of creation that we can't fully see or understand, how, how can we be in relationship with this God? Well, it only makes sense, if you, if you think about it, that he would enter into the world, if he's all-powerful, that he would enter into the world in, in human form so that we might have a relationship with him. Like, that is the, that, that's the image that we, that we get. And so Paul is saying, for God, in all of his fullness, like God, this relational being, wants to enter in. And so God, uh, in all this, he, he lived in Christ. And, and by doing this, by God choosing to do this, he took the step to reconcile himself to all of us. He took on the distance between us and him. He was willing to go as, as far as he needed to go so that we might have, once again, a harmonious relationship. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by, by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And then Paul says this. I love this. He makes it personal. This includes you. Me? Yeah, you. It, it includes you. Who were once far away from God. You were his enemies. You're like, wait, that's a little harsh. I wasn't his enemy. Somebody else was his enemy. And Paul's like, no, 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 all of us. Like, all of us are, are born in, in, in this way that we're, we have the image of God on us, but we're turned away from him. We're just selfish people. Did you know you're a selfish person? Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> we're selfish. Like, we're turned towards ourselves and away from God. And so he says, this includes you, who, who were once far away from God. You were his intimate. You were, you were turned towards yourself because you're selfish. Yet now, God has, has made up the difference. He has reconciled you to himself. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, that is the good news of Jesus. It's the good news of what we find in the New Testament is that this distance, anything we can imagine that has created a gulf between us and God, and all of us have it, all of us kind of feel that from time to time, like that God 
doesn't expect us to climb the ladder to him. He actually descended to earth in the form of, of a human to make up for whatever distance was between us and, and him. And listen to how Paul ends this little, this little piece. He says, you are now holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Now, is Paul saying that we're now perfect? No, no. Nor can we be perfect. Like God's expectation isn't that we're perfect. It's that we rest in the work that Christ accomplished, and that love moves us further into his holiness, which begins to shape our lives to be lived differently. He's not expecting us to be perfect. He, he sees us, and when he looks at us, when we're found in Christ, he sees Jesus. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the good news, and that's what reconciliation is all about. And before we talk about reconciliation between us and our, and our neighbor, we need to see the reconciliation that God has made possible through entering into the world through Jesus. Does that make sense? Are you with me? So I want you to think for a second. I want you to think, like, what is it that you have imagined that keeps you from God? What is it that you imagine is there? Maybe it's just distance. You know, I, I believe there's a God, but it's like I can't see him. I don't, like, I, I wish I could. I just, there's, noth, there's, there's nothing there. Or maybe it's your past. Maybe for you the hang-up is something in your past, and you say, you know what? I, I believe God loves me, but there is something there. I cannot fully accept his forgiveness or his reconciliation because I have not yet earned my way back to him. Like, what is it that keeps what is it that, that, that keeps you from God? And, and, and the reason I want you to think of that just for a moment is because I want you to know that, that God no longer considers that as something in the way of his love for you. That, that, that through this, this creator God entering into the world, he, he wanted to, to make up all the distance that we could ever imagine would keep us between him and God, keep us between us and God. And um, until we fully receive and rest in that, it'll be difficult for us to, to reconcile our relationships with the people around us. And so I'm gonna, we're going to take a pause in, in this moment um, to remember and to celebrate the, the good news of Jesus. And we're going to take communion together. And we don't often do this as an entire church, but we're going to do it all together today. And um, we're going to pass some bread and some juice. And this has been a reminder for thousands, a couple thousand years. Uh, Jesus instituted this, and he, and he wanted us to, to do this on a regular basis because he wanted us to remember the God who entered into flesh and blood to make up the difference between us and God. Go ahead and grab a seat just for a couple more minutes because now, like, we have a step to take with those around us which enters back into the neighboring conversation, right? And so Paul helps us with this in, in another letter that he's writing. He says, all of this comes from God who settled the relationship between us and him. He wants us to understand this. So if you read the letters of Paul, you'll see this again and again and again. He wants us to fully understand that there's no longer a rift between us and God. So he's, he's settled it. 
And then he called us to do what? Settle our relationships with one another. Yeah. Now you see how this kind of ties in? Like what, what God has done for us, he's calling us to do for those around us. And I would say especially those who are different, the marginalized, those who may not look, believe, have been raised in the ways that we have been raised. Like it is what our world needs today is people who are willing to do what God did, lay aside the rights and privileges of heaven to enter into life with another. God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness. Now God has given us the task of telling everyone what he's up to. Now catch this. This this is what will send us out today. Like we are now Christ's representatives. Now that's scary, is it not? Like, he chose you. I mean, look at the person next to you and say, he chose you. Go ahead and tell that person next to you, he chose you. That's scary, isn't it? Now it's scary. We are Christ's representative. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences. And church, we are not doing a great job of what he's called us to. We, we often like to proclaim more about what we're against than what we're for. We like to point out who we disagree with rather than step across in great love and kindness and humble ourselves as God did through Christ and enter into true relationship with another, to neighbor with those around us, right? Yeah. Uh, John Perkins, Dr. John Perkins um, I think he finished, originally he finished his, his education in third grade because of some of the things going on in, in the, the part of the world in which he lived and wasn't given the opportunity to continue. Today, uh, Dr. John Perkins has, I think, 17 or 18 honorary doctorates, and he has done more to step into a divide in our nation and help us navigate a conversation that is desperately needed in our world, in our country so that we would hear one another, see one another, and respect one another, even when we have different perspectives and don't fully comprehend or understand what another has, 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 has experienced. And so he says, there is no reconciliation until we recognize the dignity of the other. There's no reconciliation. We might say it, but there's no true relationship, harmonious relationship, until we recognize that, until we see their view and we enter into the pain. And here's how Jesus says that we can do that. Are you ready? Here it is. This, is. this is the step that we can take. And it is something, it's so, it seems so elementary. Here it is. Do unto others whatever you would like them to do to you. Hold on, let me say that again. Because I know this is like a the, okay, in, in the, in the, Jesus was probably speaking Aramaic, but it was recorded in in Greek. So let's go ahead. The Greek of this, this is exactly what it says. Are you ready? Do unto others whatever you would want them to do unto you. Like that's the Greek behind it. It means exactly what it says. 
And Jesus then says, this is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Now, is that amazing? Like if you were to take the Bible, I mean, it would take you some time to get through it. And so Jesus says, let me give you the Cliff Notes version of what God's calling you to in the Bible. Like all the directives in the Bible. Here's what it's about. Do unto others whatever you would want them to do unto you. And what's interesting about this one teaching from Jesus, uh, Hillel, the elder, if you have a Jewish background, you would know that name, Hillel, the elder. Um, Some have called him a rabbi, but he probably wasn't truly a rabbi. This is what he said, that which is hateful unto you, do not do to your neighbor. This is the whole of the Torah. The rest is just commentary. I love that. (laughs) Now, many Jews would not agree with that, but uh, the rest is just commentary. You know, whatever's evil to you, don't, don't do to anyone else. And for those who come from a, a Hindu background, in the Hindu uh, sacred thought, this is the sum of duty. Do not do to others what, you, what, what, what would cause, cause pain if done to you. And let's not leave out Islam. Here's some writing uh, from Islam, and we might have some disagreements with some of this, but not one of you truly believes until you wish for others what you wish for yourself. Like this teaching of Jesus like makes its way around the world and it is transformational. And do we not need this in our world? So back to the teachings of Jesus. Let's read this together just so that it kind of sticks with us. You ready? Here it is. Do unto others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Isn't that great? So reconciliation, what does it take? Well, here's a few things that I wrote down, and you might want to write some other things down. It takes humility. It takes me saying that I'm not the most important, and it takes sacrifice. Like, I'm not going to demand my own way here. Like, I'm going to give up something, probably, to take that step towards you. Like, it costs God something. It's going to cost us something. It takes patience. I hate that word. Don't you hate that word? (laughs) Patience. Empathy. The ability to, to, to hear and enter into someone else's pain. Kindness. And it takes grace. And it takes love. And you might have some other things to fill in. Like, for me, this was enough to start with. <laughs> to say, you know what, this, this is what it, what it calls me. To do. So we are representatives of Jesus. Don't forget this. We're, we're representatives of Jesus. We're Jesus' representatives, and we have been given the task of reconciliation. Here, we must lay down our differences. We must see the dignity and worth of every person, and we must become a unifying force of love in this world. Guys, that's what we're called to. Men and women of God who want to walk with God, we have been given a beautiful message that the world needs. And we have a choice of what to do with it. So as we close, and we are done, um, I want you to think maybe of a person in your life, just, just a person. Is there someone that you need to be reconciled to this week? Maybe it's a spouse, a child, a parent, a neighbor, a coworker. What would it look like for you to, to humble yourself, to sacrifice something, to take a step, as God did through Christ, uh, to see, to hear, to understand, to think 
in order to reestablish relationship? What would that look like with that, with that one person? And now, I want you to think of a group of people. A, a people that you have put into a category and you have said, they are wrong. And because they are wrong, there is no relationship that I can have with that group of people. And I won't start naming them, but I know we have them. We have those groups. And we like to imagine them in this nice little bubble that we don't have to interact. They're wrong and we're right and we're going to make them understand what we know to be right. And so we put them in this bubble and we, you know, and what would it look like for that wall to be torn down? For you to take what God called us to, the, the, the ministry of reconciliation, he called it, the work of reconciliation, what, what would it take for you to listen, for us to hear, not declare, but, but to, to be with them? Ah. Oh. Man, should have skipped church today. <laughs> I don't want you to leave feeling guilty. I want you to leave feeling inspired that you can make all the difference in the world. You can make all the difference in the world. You can make all the difference in the world because of what Christ has shown you, what he has displayed, what he has given you, and the power of the Holy Spirit which, which lives in you. You can make all the difference in the world. That is good news today, isn't it, church? So would you stand with me? And as you leave this place today, would you, could I, do unto others what we would want them to do to us? And in so doing, fulfill the entire of the Torah and the prophets. Could we enter into this ministry of reconciliation in a new way. Hey, have a great week. Step across to someone that needs you and love them in a genuine way. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.